Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. Hi, I'm Emma Bazilian. And I'm Stephanie Diaz. And we are the authors of the book Charm School, The Schumacher Guide to Traditional Decorating for Today. You both work at Frederick Media, which includes Schumacher, a storied brand that was founded in 1889, and Frederick Magazine. Could you kick things off chatting a little bit about the history of Schumacher and Frederick Magazine and what you both do there? Um, Steph, can you start? Yeah. So as you said, uh, Schumacher has been around for over 130 years. Um, And there's so much history. And I think that was one of the things that I was drawn to when I first started working at Schumacher, learning about collaborations with Dorothy Draper, Cecil Beaton, Frank Lloyd Wright, and having our product in, in places like Radio City, Metropolitan Opera House and the White House. I mean, there's so much history, you know, having our archives, it's just kind of amazing. And it's a household name. And, you know, we've always stood for style and quality. And it's just been amazing to work at a place like Schumacher. You know, I started about eight years ago. So I've been around for a really long time. And I've seen just how much it has grown and from where we started, you know, and we have so many brands now, Patterson Flynn, we have Backdrop. um, And it's just kind of been amazing to kind of see how much we've progressed. And I was a part of the original team with Dara Capernegro, our creative director, and we worked on the first Schumacher Bulletin, which eventually became what is Frederick Magazine right now. And that was really exciting because it's the first time we did it, it was a, um, marketing collateral for the Miles Red collection. And it was supposed to be a one-time thing. And it we end up, ended up making 10 issues. And now it's Frederick Magazine and we're an actual magazine. And Emma's on our team and we have this team and we have the magazine and we're working on volume nine right now, Emma. We've done books. S is for Style, which was our first book, which was uh, really amazing. And that feedback was really great. And then now Charm School. And so we have video, book, our magazine. It's just been really exciting to kind of see how much we get to work on and we get to inspire people with the things that we are inspired by. So it's just been a kind of amazing to see all of that happen. And how about you, Emma? So I joined Schumacher a little more than two years ago. Um, I had been an editor at at uh, Hearst Design Group and House Beautiful. So I sort of came into it as both from an editorial background and also just as a big fan of Schumacher. Honestly, I um, I grew up with um, you know Schumacher fabrics. My mom was an interior designer. So I was always just kind of in that world and just obsessed with Schumacher. And, you know, they always had the fun florals and the fun designer collaborations. And, you know, I remember reading the bulletin when it came out and just being like totally blown away by the quality of it, especially for, you know, what Steph was saying, it was originally marketing collateral. So when Schumacher really started building this editorial media team a few years ago, um, they had already assembled this great group of names that I was familiar with, like um, Tori Malat, who had been a traditional home. I remember when she went over to Schumacher, I was like, this has to be a big deal. And obviously Dara, who had been the editor of Veranda and was one of the founders of Domino. So, um, you know, they had this really really impressive editorial framework in place. And um, when I started talking to Dara about moving over there, you know, I realized that this was not necessarily going to be a kind of marketing job for Schumacher. It really was going to be an editorial job and we were going to create this incredible magazine. So yeah, it was really exciting to kind of, I, I think I joined right as the first issue of Frederick was coming out. So I did not work on the first issue, but I um, 
was lucky enough to be around when it officially launched and just the reactions were incredible. And, you know, in a world where so many brands are kind of scaling back on their uh, media budgets and editorial is kind of in a weird place right now where the legacy brands are kind of trying to figure out how to balance digital and print and video and a million other things. It was really exciting to see a company that was so excited to invest in this really beautiful, luxurious print product and, you know, hire editors who really knew their stuff to produce it. Charm School is a feast for the eyes. It's page after page (laughs) of inspiration. So can you just talk a little bit about the process of creating this book? Did you do it in the midst of the pandemic? And also, Steph, I've heard you say you balance each other out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we sure do. We worked on S's for Style right before the pandemic hit, like that launched during the pandemic. And that was such an amazing book to work on. And that was my first book I art directed. And I worked really closely with Dara. That that was Dara's book. And that was so amazing. And it was such a great book. And after that, I think we were having a lot of conversations about what our next book would be. And Emma joined. Um, and, you know, then we all kind of knew that she had coined the grand millennial term. And so I think we kind of felt that maybe that could be our next book. And that's when Emma and I were paired together. And it was the first time that we actually had worked together. Um, So it was really interesting because I think we had a lot of conversations about what the structure of this book would be and how we would put this book together. You know, it was a really great process. We, you know, we wanted to focus on just making sure we got the best Schumacher images. Ultimately, this book is a Schumacher book. I always say it was a labor of love. We did a lot of photo research. And I think that's where Emma and I, I always say we balance each other out. Emma was always pulling the most like intense photos with like florals <laughs> everywhere and creepy glass dolls and <laughs> so much needlepoint. And kind of we would have conversations back and forth. And I would say, well, I don't really know if that fits or... We could try, but I I don't think it's going to work. And I would like rein her in, but she would push me. And so it was just, I don't know. It was a really great balance. Yeah, it was fun. Steph was a a very good tempering influence. (laughs) I love this style and this aesthetic. And some of the stuff that I am drawn towards is a little bit maybe more out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of the process for this was doing research in old magazines and, you know, just old books that I have. And, you know, you can find some really fun, crazy stuff. And um, it, it was nice to have a, a voice of reason saying, okay, you know, this is fun, but maybe like we'll scare some people if we have too many Victorian dolls and like a wicker carriage and a dark room covered in Laura <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> That's but so it, it, was, it was really, it was yeah. great though. I mean, like I, I just had so many you know, images of rooms and projects that I had saved over the years that, you know, I kind of instantly knew, like, you know, these are the designers that I feel like really fit this. And these are the projects that I love. And a lot of them happened to feature Schumacher, which was great. Um, And then also, it was really fun actually having access to all of the not only like the the projects that had featured Schumacher over the years, but just the photo shoots that the brand had done. Um, Because there's some really, I mean, you know, the Vogue collection, um, some of the collaborator collections, Miles, Red, Mary McDonald, like there was just some really fun photo shoots that had happened around those that were the uh, aesthetic of the book. So Emma, in 2019, as an editor of House Beautiful, you wrote an essay titled The Rise of Grand Millennial Style and coined the term Grand Millennial. I must have read this piece five times. Could you talk a little bit about that essay? 
I am still in shock at the response to that piece and will always be in shock. Our editor-in-chief, Joe Saltz, and I, you know, we're always kind of joking about how I was this like weird 30-year-old old lady who was obsessed with <laughs> Needlepoint and Chintz and Laura Ashley. And, you know, kind of every spare moment that I could find, you'd probably find me huddled in the House Beautiful Archives looking at issues from like the 70s, 80s, 90s, which was honestly one of my favorite things was doing uh, archive research there. And I remember thinking like this, uh, you know, th- this is definitely not mainstream, but there are other, you know, young women and men, people that I know who are into this style and who are collecting antiques and samplers and needlepointing um, heirloom folk art crafts and into this kind of design. You know, especially I feel like there were so many designers in the South and a lot of British designers who were kind of reclaiming this, you know, country floral look, um, you know, and even in fashion, like I remember seeing on the runways like Batsheva and Erdem and Amelia Wickstead and all these fashion designers that I loved were putting out these, you know, like long sleeve, high neck, ruffly floral gowns. I mean, even, you know, Gucci kind of was on more the maximalist end of things, but they were really kind of spearheading this granny chic revival and um, published the article and it just went crazy because I think there were so many people who kind of felt who felt seen by this who were like oh you know I'm kind of like the the weirdo who needle points and wears vintage Laura Ashley yeah I think it was uh just it spoke to a lot of people and you know it was it was nice to have a name to attach to it I think that was the best part was that, yeah, it was Grand Millennial. Now we have a name. For me, it really was kind of the second generation, like really loving my grandparents' houses and, you know, their style and, you know, kind of a a teenage rebellion against my mom's very tasteful white linen and, you know, going back to the things that she was like, oh my God, I can't believe you like that. For me, it takes me back to growing up in Kansas City and my mom's aesthetic and my grandparents and my mom's fabulous friends. And one of her best friends was Kate Spade's mom. So cool. When I got married, she goes, put your monogram on your sheets. And I was like, yes. Thank you, June. I love that. So I love the charm school is really a masterclass on how to achieve the traditional look in our modern times. What are some traditional elements included in the book? Some of my favorite interiors in the book are when you just kind of see glimpses of it. You know, it's not an entire room filled of florals and checks and stripes, but when there's a detail and there's like a striped, lampshade and um or you know there's a john stephanidis uh room in our book where it's a really pared down neutral room but then you kind of see you see these little bows on curtains and i think that's the amazing part it's not just about making it everything traditional but about it could be something really small in the room or it could be you know an entire room and i think that was like the most fun thing, I think. And I think for me, it was so exciting to be able to kind of pull imagery that way and not just think it, not just think of an interior as everything is this. Instead of quiet uh, think, luxury, know, it's, it's quiet grand millennial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think just in terms of, you know, kind of the, the topics we covered, and that was one of the earliest conversations we had about the book was kind of how to structure, do we do it by room? Do we do it by you know, era, but, um, you know, we really did end up kind of going by, by sort of decorating technique, really. 
or, um, you know, by material. So, you know, you have wicker and rattan, you have um, chapters on stripes and toile and chintz and florals, um, chapters on skirts and bed hangings and slip covers. But I think that the ones that really spoke to us were the ones, you know, especially you find this in the vintage and antiques and collecting where it feels, and I think that's really part of this whole style is that it feels so personal. It feels, you know, it's not like you're kind of tailoring your style to fit a certain aesthetic where, you know, you're want everything to be very modern farmhouse or you want everything to be very transitional and you're kind of, you know, buying things and editing things to fit that. But more the idea of, you know, you have this collection of, um, you know, like Chinese (laughs) <laughs> or, yeah, dolls. <laughs> or, you know, plates that you've inherited from your grandmother or great-grandmother or, you know, like just things that you've picked up at flea markets or consignment stores and kind of how do you how do you build an interior about around things that you have and that you love and, you know, kind of making this eclectic mix of things. And I think that's a lot of what traditional decorating is, is yeah. kind of filling your spaces with personality and finding pieces that you love and, you know, just making them work. Yeah, I think that was the most important, like livable. And I think that was like what we were looking at when we were looking at this imagery that it felt personal to whoever had decorated the interior and I think that was one of the most important elements so the first chapter is chintz and I find it to be polarizing you either love it or you hate it and I adore it this might be a really stupid question but what's the difference between chintz and a floral so if you're talking very very (laughs) technically in terms of fabric a chintzed fabric is one that has a a chintzed kind of glazed you know i think we kind of use it interchangeably with floral because that's how it's kind of entered the popular vernacular now um but yeah i mean the origins of the fabric were actually um kind of indian um uh hand prints and block prints in the i want to say you know 16th century that made their way over to europe and so a a lot of these fabrics that we see um you know really originated in India and were kind of then recontextualized through, you know, British and um, French and then later kind of American eyes. They've evolved. They feel like, you know, to people like very 80s and very like, you know, they were once trendy, but like these fabrics are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And I just think that's, that's really cool that so many of them have a really interesting kind of legacy behind them. When I first moved to New York City from Kansas City, I had this beautiful chintz sofa that my grandma gave me. It was really nice. I got an apartment on Perry Street and they couldn't get my sofa up the stairs. So I had to leave it at the Chelsea self-storage or something like that. So someone got a really nice sofa. Oh my God. Isn't that awful? Oh, that's awful. I I guess they did. Did they have the sofa doctor at that point? You know, I was fresh off the uh, the U-Haul from Kansas, so I may, maybe, maybe not. Oh my gosh! Oh, so funny. someone has a really nice chintz couch somewhere. Oh, lucky them. Yeah, yes. good for them. So, how can you mix and match chintz patterns without overwhelming a space? I think it depends on your uh, definition of overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, I also think this is where Emma and I balance out. So, you know, we have rooms where you have floral or chintz everywhere. And I think they're amazing. But there's also rooms like the Ruthie Summers interior or the, there's a, a Robert F. Kennedy room where the pattern is just on a chair or a sofa. And that makes the room. And it's like neutral rooms. And then you have this chair covered in a chintz or a floral 
floral and, and it looks amazing. There's also an Alison Kokoma image in here that I really love where she uses the same floral on the on the headboard and the curtains and I believe a chair. And then she has like a wicker light fixture with a wicker uh, chair and it, it just, I don't know, it looks amazing. But then you have the all over and that looks great too. So Emma, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I think there are really kind of different ways of going about it. You do kind of all over matching curtains, wallpaper, upholstery, you know, that very, what we think of as like a decorating no-no kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going all out with one textile, which I think with the right textile can actually yeah. be kind of fresh and modern and cool just because it is so taboo. But, um, <laughs> you know, then you look at the, um, I think that room you're referring to, um, Steph, the, uh, it's, uh, Jenny Holiday who works with Summer Thornton, her living room in Chicago. And, you know, she has this really kind of overscale blue and white chintz wallpaper yes. and then a chintz chair, but, you know, it's all, I think that what makes it work is that she really varies the scale of things. So, yes. you know, you can have like a really large scale chintz on the walls, but then if you have kind of like a mid scale on a piece of upholstery or even like a really tiny, small scale ditzy floral on a lampshade or a pillow or something like that, it kind of balances each other out, you know, to keep things from kind of like battling for your, for your attention in the space. You can do it in so many ways. It's just a matter of these amazing decorators just kind of really thinking about what they use and the patterns and the scale. And I think that's the most important. The most successful spaces are the ones where it doesn't look too studied or too intentional. Like, you know, where it feels like, and regardless of whether or not this is true, it feels like, you know, when you bought this house, it already had this antique wallpaper and then you added this headboard that you found at auction or something like that. And, you know, where it feels collected rather than very precisely studied. In the book, you talk about how the stripe is a chameleon in the design world. One of the best things about stripes is that they're versatile. Dorothy Draper loved dramatic stripes, pairing them with oversized florals. Talk a little bit about stripes. So I was lucky enough actually to go to the Greenbrier for the first time a couple of months ago. And um, I had I'd never been there and it was absolutely mind-blowing and incredibly inspiring. And, you know, just kind of seeing the way that Dorothy and later Carlton had and Rudy used these and and now Rudy of course who was our host for the weekend and you know <laughs> it was so fun to see him in his element but um you know kind of watching the evolution of these rooms and how she paired these really it, it really was all about scale and it wasn't about doing like a ticking stripe with a small floral it was about these really bold statements and these wide stripes and these you know massively tall ceilings and i think what really made her work so exciting was that there was a really really theatrical, dramatic element to it that, you know, it wasn't necessarily worried about taste. It was just what it was. And it was kind of in your face and happy and exciting. And, you know, it it just felt really bold and new and really, really modern. And it still feels really modern, um, you know, because of the the graphicness and the boldness and just the willingness to throw crazy pattern on top of crazy pattern. And having stripes as the backdrop, I feel like it adds this interesting like op art element to florals and the colors and everything. You know, you kind of feel like you're like engulfed in this whole world when you walk into one of her stripe spaces. I mean, I think I think what Emma was saying, they're so versatile. I mean, the scale, um, small scales, big scales, I think there's so much to play with. And I think just having like Emma was saying that, that we have our Carvel image of Dorothy Draper image and like just the bold stripe on the walls makes a space. I think there's so much that you can do with stripes too. Um, you know, we, we did a story in Frederick magazine about, uh, uh, stripes on a, on the bias and 
there's so much that you can do and it doesn't necessarily have to be on the walls. It can be you know, anywhere. And I, I think they're just an element that is so fun to play with. It, taking Stripe is essentially a neutral to me. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to do a solid, but you don't want to do a solid because, you know, solids are kind of boring. You know, a ticking stripe is like a way around that, the kind of a little bit more flavor. But I mean, yeah. honestly, like what does a stripe not work with? Exactly. Yeah, I have blue and um, kind of off-white ticking curtains in my living room. It's better than just cream. Yeah. And, you know, it adds <laughs> yeah. a little bit of movement. And, you know, I think just that kind of linearity is such a great backdrop for, you know, obviously I'm going to say florals, but, you know, kind of all sorts of matter. Yeah. I think one thing that immediately elevates a room is a skirt, whether it be on a round table, under the bathroom sink, kitchen sink, it hides a multitude of sins. And you call the ruffle the ditzy cousin of the skirt. And that cracked me up. I It's funny that you say that it cracked you up because reading some of the texts that, uh, the copy that Emma wrote, I would laugh every, you know, we would, she would send me copy and I would read it and I would laugh and and this is one of the ones but I honestly would have to say I was not a huge fan of skirts before this book but after putting this book together and seeing all these images um I love the idea of dressing the table adding a pretty pattern or having a space that you need for storage and hiding it and and picking a, a pattern and and putting a skirt on it I think it's such a fun idea and I think we've even had conversations about trying to find images where you would skirt things that you normally wouldn't like I think Emma you had mentioned a ping pong table or um so I think I think this was like a really fun one because I had like I said I I thought at the beginning before this I thought I was a little fussy but it's so fun and I think some of the skirts that I love the most from the chapter you know obviously a a floral skirt and dressing table will always be my go-to because I had one growing up and you know it was kidney shaped and I loved it and I'm still mourning its uh disappearance to this day but you know in the chapter the um I think in the opener there's a bathroom that David Hicks had done that is a um skirted sink vanity area and it's just a plain white fabric oh yes and a skirted bathtub yes the bathtub yes yes i think that was amazing yeah kind of it's it's modern day counterpart which is the dining room of the designer lils mckenna's um old place in brooklyn and again it's just like a little bar area that's skirted with Mm -hmm. um this beige and white ticking stripe and i think just the way that like it can feel really really fresh and unexpected when it's mm-hmm. done in, you know, a solid fabric or, you know, when it's just kind of box pleats versus, um, you know, really tightly gathered. And it's a really nice way of adding softness to a space. And also, you know, just I think the potential for storage, especially when you're in the city, is endless and always needed. So where can we find you on the web and social media? Uh, obviously, Schumacher is on Instagram, on Pinterest, um, you know, on line um and honestly and i say this as someone who thought this before i ever worked for schumacher but the schumacher for instagram is just so fabulous and you know beautifully curated and super inspiring so if you're not following that you obviously should be um but then also frederick magazine our instagram has uh, been really growing and you know is a great mix of pieces and um, images that we've run in the magazine and designers that we love so definitely follow us on instagram and youtube too we're doing some really really fun house tours and videos on um, on YouTube that are definitely worth checking out. A lot of designers own homes, which is cool. This has been so much fun, Steph and Emma. Thank you so much for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. us. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book.